we're back on the fringe with Elizabeth. So I wanted to just preface this episode by saying that I am not a medical professional in any sense, nor am I a psychologist. I am a layman looking for answers like everyone else. These are my own opinions and also information I have looked into, which I may or may not agree with. Do your own research and feel free to disagree. I am simply documenting a journey. Millennials, people who were born in the early 1980s to mid-90s, so that's around 1981 to 1996, anxiety and depression among us seems to be quite commonplace. And with events like the economic issues that have occurred both before and during this pandemic, the effects may vary. Some are doing better than others. I find people who are used to anxiety and depression on a regular basis are slightly less affected than those who do not experience these things regularly, especially introverts. I feel there is a correlation in there somewhere, but who knows? As a millennial, I find I'm all of the above and the causes are numerous. People don't like generalization, but keep in mind when discussing demographics, it's bound to occur to some extent. I have found values like commitment, honesty, loyalty, trust, and maturity to be severely lacking among us millennials. And yes, you'll find that in other demographics as well and other age groups, but this is where I'm focused. And anxious avoidance is seemingly high. The why, like the issues, vary, but patterns never lie. Though circumstances vary, I am not speaking for all. The irony is that people who said to get it together and suck it up are now twitchy and anxious from uncertainty, loss of work, and having to social distance, while those with anxiety and depression and are introverted are actually not as twitchy with social distancing feeling like a vacation of sorts from having to interact with humans when they would rather not most days. Dare I say calm? This is when I think of the show Peaky Blinders and the protagonist Thomas Shelby. He has a lot of issues from having PTSD after being in the war, along with other possible issues that, you know, he may have developed maybe through childhood. But it somehow makes him a formidable adversary, which I admire. He's very calm and strategic in times of panic for those around him who haven't been through the things he has, but it's what he's been through and how he's dealt with it. So in some sense, I consider it a gift when it's able to be transmuted properly. When that happens, though, it's usually automatic. At least for me, it is. It just sort of happens. People ask, how are you so calm? I just shrug and say, this is my world. Welcome. (laughs) I've spent so much time worrying, especially sometimes before an event happens, like maybe an earthquake or, God forbid, a car accident, something along those lines. And because of my anxiety, usually by the time something occurs and people are panicking then, I am not panicking when everybody else is panicking. Just to elaborate. I recommend How to Be Fearless Under Pressure by Charisma On Command on YouTube. 
he goes into how Thomas Shelby is able to use his way of being to be a powerhouse almost without trying and to do so with integrity. Or look at Vikings Ragnar Lothbrok. There's much to be learned from him, but I prefer to learn to use these abilities with integrity and leave the less honorable conduct aside. Some don't or can't separate the energy of the character that makes them dynamic in a positive way and they're often destructive or dysfunctional behaviors or tendencies this includes the joker from batman of course now i love the joker from batman however there are positives to be gained there in terms of his constant challenging of society it's almost philosophical however when it comes to his less than admirable treatment of females and his abusive tendencies and also his propensity for sexual abuse i leave those things aside it's possible to learn the skills and leave the dysfunction which is the goal It's usually brought on by trauma, but I don't think it has to be. In my opinion, you may learn these skills faster if you've experienced trauma. And it's constant work to put aside the negative traits that you might develop through trauma that come with it. Again, it varies and it's very personal because everyone's root cause may vary. It's, if it's not addressed, it doesn't get any better. I call it the dark passenger for those who have watched Dexter. (laughs) Not endorsing anyone or any products, just noting things I've observed. I found everything to be connected, as I've said before, so you'll find recurring themes here. Coming of age in the age of information gives us a lot of choices and freedoms that we often abuse or just don't know what to do with. It's challenging with or without the backdrop of a healthy upbringing. I use the term healthy to mean having a mother and father archetypes, not necessarily biological, and having most needs met in terms of clothing, shelter, food, emotional validation in particular. So the childhood may not have been completely devoid of trauma. You're going to have different types of trauma to less degrees and to more extreme degrees but we'll say hopefully it's to a lesser degree, given that you'd have a balanced upbringing. Okay, so with that said, I would like to move on to the mother wound. And with the mother wound, I'm going to go through a list of behaviors that a mother or mother figure may have and what it might result in in it's less productive form. So if the mother was slash is critical, it reveals itself through a loud inner critic, meaning you're overcritical of yourself. If the mother slash mother figure was or is unapproving, then it will manifest in the form of fear of judgment. If the mother figure was or is passive aggressive, it will tend to manifest in a lack of confidence. If the mother is or was unavailable, it will manifest in 
the inability to understand or express emotions. If the mother is codependent, then the child will have weak boundaries. If the mother is controlling, then the child will develop rebellious choices. And if the mother is pessimistic, then it will manifest in the form of self-sabotage. This is one of the many topics I find is not addressed when we're discussing childhood issues or which parent has a particular impact on the child or children. So I found that I've come across many who have these traits and tend to ignore any toxic traits that their mothers may have. They tend to be maybe a little over-reliant on their mother and the mother may have, an, like, I, like was mentioned, an unhealthy codependence on the child. She may have the ability to give the child some room to live their life. However, based on what I've seen manifested in certain people, it could be that the mother wound has not been addressed. And it tends to be overlooked because oftentimes the mother tends to be on the receiving end of poor treatment from the male parent or a male figure. So the children tend to want to defend the mother, which is completely natural and normal. However, the toxic side of the relationship with their mother or mother figure is never addressed. So those types of issues tend to go unnoticed and not dealt with throughout adulthood. Among other things, of course. So I just wanted to touch on that briefly because I think it's very important to bring up. I've seen it. And when I see it play out, I always wonder why are we not discussing this part? I know we are aware that both parents can be toxic, but we tend to focus more on the father, his infidelities, his abuse of the mother, which obviously does not help. But, you know, there's this side of it too, where sometimes the mother herself does not emote properly or healthily. And she then transfers those unproductive traits to said children. Usually the males, I've noticed. The males who tend to have trouble expressing their emotions and have a lack of confidence and have very weak boundaries and are very rebellious and self-sabotage on a regular basis. Um... but also fear judgment at the same time. I've seen the toxic relationship between those both female and male children with their parents. And when I say children, I don't necessarily mean actual children. I mean adults. But I've seen it mainly with male, with male adults and their mothers. It's actually... Well, for me, I don't want to say how prevalent it is, but I've seen it very often. I'm not an expert in this field. It's just something I've noticed, but I wasn't able to put a term to it before. This has helped me to reason that idea out. So now, on to Johan Hari, who wrote a book called Lost Connections. I was listening to him talk about anxiety and depression on the Joe Rogan podcast, He emphasizes that in the West, we are taught to value the wrong things, which is why 
fulfillment seems so elusive. Things like material wealth, sex, vanity, and that if we achieve those things, then it means we're successful or well off. Some of the wealthiest, most famous, seemingly well-off people are often terribly unhappy. And if you complain, you're dismissed as selfish or ungrateful, which sets a dangerous precedent in my opinion. It's not just a matter of having a chemical imbalance. There are social and psychological components as well as biological. The standards of the culture, as he put it, are highly questionable. If you go by societal standards and ignore your emotional, social needs in favor of junk values, issues will arise. And I find myself tending to lean toward that belief. Success doesn't necessarily mean happiness. It usually means to alleviate financial or material constraints in other words financial anxiety so you can have anxiety patterns and they can be financial or social or anything along those lines so i think it's also important to look into what your anxiety patterns may be so we have junk food and we have junk values If addiction is a result of wanting to escape one's life because it's painful or not the life we want or are suited for, if those needs were met, the desire and need to escape and use of, you know, through the use of chemicals or technology excessively would decrease. There was an experiment done with rats that Johan Hari had also mentioned called Rat Park by Professor Bruce Alexander. They gave the rats two water bottles, one of which was spiked with, I think, heroin. It might have been diamorphine, but don't quote me on that. Diamorphine is uh, medical heroin. And And the other water bottle wasn't spiked with anything. It was just pure water. And they gave them toys to play with, companions and they got lots of food, social and sexual gratification and the water bottle with the drug was rarely used and none of the rats overdosed. Chemical hooks are real but that's only part of it. Diet, lifestyle, trauma in childhood or anywhere after childhood, it's multi-layered basically. When the opposite was done with one rat, meaning just the drugged water was there and the regular water bottles were there as well. So you had a regular water bottle and you had a spiked water bottle. Minus the other needs being met, like the social, sexual, regular feeding time, things like that. The lone rat used the drugged water regularly and often died within a week. So the problem in my estimation isn't anything external. It's not drugs, alcohol, video games, guns, sex, cars, or food. It's you, the internal. 
as above, so below, as within, so without. Are your needs being met? If they are, to the best of your ability, I wager that the need to escape, drug and distract ourselves will be minimized. So this is why prohibitions do not work. If the values of the society are low, then that is where the focus should be, not on band-aids and distractions. So that's my basic take on anxiety and depression in our society and how we treat it and how we treat each other. I'm not against medication. However, I find a lot of people are on medication that they're addicted to in order to escape their current situations. And some people are on medication and are actually coping quite well. So it really does depend on you. And there was also another example given by Johan Hari where there, I think somewhere in Asia, I don't remember which country, you had some rice farmers and a man was working in a on a rice farm and he stepped on a mine and lost his leg. And he still went to work after having lost his leg on that farm. And he developed severe anxiety, severe depression. He could barely function. And the government of that country, or at least the organization, I'm not sure if it's the government in addition to the farm or the or the people who run the farm, noticed this and they decided to look into it. And what they decided to do was to give him a cow and change where he worked so he wouldn't have to be constantly reminded of the trauma. And his anxiety diminished. Now, that's not to say giving everybody a cow is going to work or that a change in location is the answer. But it's looking at what that man went through, observing it, and somebody caring enough to say, even though, yes, I'm sure the work on the farm was being affected, so they probably were thinking more about the efficiency of the farm. But the fact that they were willing to actually find a solution in regards to the trauma he went through, a lot of us We can't see each other's trauma. That trauma happened to that man in real time and people were there to witness it. So they knew what had happened to him. So it was easy to see the trajectory of his emotional decline and link it to that event. We don't always get the, you know, the advantage of that. So that's why, you know, looking into ourselves is so important. So... To everyone out there who, we've all used escapism at some point. I have, I'm not exempt from this. I've had my own versions of traumas, but I, I choose to now use it to my advantage and to take the positive traits that I've noted from the Joker or Ragnar or Thomas Shelby and make them into some kind of amalgamation of lessons so you can take the skills that you've either developed naturally through dealing with your trauma or from just observing these characters or maybe somebody breaking it down like the YouTube channel I'd mentioned earlier so you can take the time to look at these things and observe which traits work best for you, which ones you'd like to adopt and practice. 
um, it does tend to come easier for people who have been through certain types of trauma, i.e. war, or maybe different varying types of abuse growing up. I found that, well, there are studies, but I'm not, I don't remember the names of the studies right now. Um, children who have been abused in certain ways, their IQ tends to be very high. So, not to say that, obviously, it's a horrible, traumatic experience. So, you don't want children to have to go through that. It's like, how do you get those traits without having gone through certain types of trauma and, you know, certain types of abuse? You know, how do you train yourself to get those traits without... Ha- it's, it's a lot harder when you haven't been through trauma, actually. I found that it was easier to adopt certain traits once I'd been through something that traumatized me. So, that being said, I I really hope this was helpful. I am still researching. I'm still looking into this. So, I'm, I know I'm definitely not an authority on this topic. So, that's why I listen to other people who have different ideas that I seem to resonate with. So thanks so much for listening. Please favorite and share and check my merch, Lilux Moon Apparel, and the link will be in the description. This is Elizabeth on the Fringe signing off. Over and out.